Right now on Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, we meet the CEO of Mainline Group, Jamie O'Rourke. Engineers take concepts and they bring them to reality. That can be putting pipelines in the ground, connecting up new houses, or at the other end of the scale, space travel. That's what engineers do. Hello there, my name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to the Engineers Ireland podcast where we speak with our community of creative professionals across the country about how engineers are delivering sustainable solutions for society both now and in the future to come. Today we're chatting with the CEO of Mainline Group who have had huge success in the design and build of substations, aviation infrastructure and renewable energy among many, many other projects. Before joining Mainline, our guest has worked everywhere from Pierce Construction and Borgosh to in-situ pipelines in South Africa and is currently an EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. It is a pleasure to welcome the CEO of Mainline Group, Jamie O'Rourke. How are you? I'm great, Dusty. Um, great to be here. Thank you. It's always great to hear about somebody's career abroad. How did you end up in South Africa? Uh, yeah, it's uh, back back in the late 90s. After graduating from college, I worked with Pierce Contracting for uh, a couple of years. I suppose the opportunity, the itchy feet, uh, like a lot of people after a year or two maybe out of college, or some people go direct from college. After graduating as a civil engineer in Trinity in 95, seems like a long time ago now. As I said, I did a year and a half, nearly two years with Pierce. And then there's a couple of my friends heading to Australia and another friend of mine had got a job offer in South Africa and uh, we decided to go for the, the path less travelled and down I went, uh, got a job with in-situ pipelines pretty much straight away, small Irish expat community down there, I was there for nearly four years, had a great time, it was, uh, it was an eye-opening experience to put it mildly, uh, South Africa in the late 90s, just coming out of apartheid uh, and all of that kind of stuff, so it was a very exciting place to be and you got, in, in that kind of an environment, you got responsibility trust upon you, you know, I was relatively young and early in my career, and um, I learned a, a huge amount. One of, one of my first mentors, I suppose, throughout my career, uh, Pius Walsh was the CEO down there of, of In-Situ Pipelines, and uh, I ended up managing a lot of the commercial and contractual um, operational aspects of the business for him and got a, got a great and, and broad experience. So what was the project that you were working on? What was the actual work? It, there was varying projects, many of them involved bringing water and sewerage infrastructure to a lot of the new townships that were being built as part of, you know, I suppose the investment into many areas that had been deprived of investment for, for many years prior to that. So it was very much infrastructural, your pipeline infrastructure, water and sewer, are obviously two of the basic, um, I suppose, human needs uh, to have those kind of facilities. And, and yeah, met a lot of interesting people and uh, had, had, a, had a great time, learned a lot down there. And um, I suppose it came to a point then in, in late kind of 99 and into 2000 where I, was, you know, I, I had an opportunity to stay on there long term or, you know, maybe come back home and the draw of home kind of, you know, pulled me back a bit and, and um, ended up in Cork working with Borgash initially. Loved that, had a great time there, great organisation. And ultimately, then I got an opportunity to go back into the contracting side of it, probably, which is kind of more the side of, of construction. 
that I'm probably more comfortable in and more natural in. 2000, I moved to Cork and I've been here since. And I started working very, very shortly after Board Gosh um, in 2002, started working with a company called Morrison. And ultimately, that company is now mainline after uh, we affected a, a, a management buyout in, in 2011. So listen, tell me about mainline engineering then. Yeah, so we established in 1999 originally, and before I got involved, the company was set up and worked primarily in the telecoms industry and, and grew into the UK. Very shortly after that, it was bought out by, by Morris and the company I mentioned earlier. And I got involved on the commercial side on, on a number of projects, mostly on the water side, because they'd branched into the water side of the business. And we were working on the Cork Main Drainage Project back in the uh, kind of 2002 to 2006 timeline. And ultimately, we retained that water, um, I suppose, expertise and the telecom expertise. And then we've also branched subsequently into the electrical side, the MVHV, medium voltage, high voltage um, side of electrical infrastructure. And that happened in, in 2015 when we bought a small power business. At the time, obviously, renewables was gathering momentum and um, it's an area we wanted to get into. Um, so we identified that as an opportunity many years ago and we worked hard at it and, and we've built ourselves up now to be um, one of the main players in that MVHV space in Ireland and indeed we've had some international success as well. So just to give us uh, an indication of the size of the company, roughly what's the turnover and how many people are working for you? Yes, yeah, so we'd, we'd have a turnover in excess of about 30 million per annum and a direct staff of in excess of 100, um, 100 people. And then you'd have subcontractors and indirect people you know, employed as well. When you first started working with uh, Mainline, one of your first big jobs was the Cork Main Drainage Project, the one from 2002. What are your own memories of that job? That was a very challenging job because you've, you've got a very high tide level, water level. It's naturally high in Cork. And, and this was in the, the island uh, element of Cork, if you're familiar with the geography of Cork City. So the river splits and it creates a little island in the middle. And we, we were doing one half of that island and putting all of the, again, similar to my um, time in South Africa, we were putting upgrading the water and sewer uh, infrastructure because prior to that, a lot of the, the sewer, would you believe it, went straight into the river. So there was a major investment infrastructurally to put in large pipes that, that intercepted all of those kind of flows into the river and took them off down to Little Island to a new uh, treatment plant aspect we were doing was pretty much gathering it from the houses, intercepting it, and then feeding it into those, those big outfall sewers. You know, to give you an example, one of the, um, the challenging elements of that was um, we had to go down Oliver Plunkett Street, which again, if you're familiar with it, is, is a fairly narrow street in Cork, busy pedestrian street, three and four story high buildings, eight to 10 meters apart. And, and we had to put in a six meter deep pipe. And, you know, originally there was a plan to open cut it and, and, we had some issues that the, the structures in, in that part of Cork, the buildings are very old. Some of them are, you know, less structurally sound than others. So you had all of those kind of challenges um, to manage. So we ultimately um, engineered a solution, you know, where we, what we call directionally drilled a large diameter, two foot diameter, 600 mil diameter pipe. And we drilled sank shafts intermittently along the, uh, along Oliver Plunkett Street and drilled from shaft to shaft. Um, so we didn't have to um, excavate. That had the benefit of um, reducing, I suppose, the disturbances to the, you know, the level of disruption to the local business, etc. So that's one example. Another one was the original and old outfall sewers, which were going back to Victorian times. You know, we had to uncover those, um, access them, and, and there's complications around that from breeding apparatus and everything else, health and safety aspects. And then we had to go in and, and kind of repair those old 
very old Victorian outfall sewers as well. Um, some aspects of that, that was under Grand Parade again, um, a much wider street, but a, a very busy street at the same time. So they're kind of some of the, some of the memories I have. Well, another one was we, we sank a shaft. It's all coming back to me now. Uh, we sank a shaft again for microtunneling on Washington Street and we uncovered some remains of um, Viking infrastructure, uh, housing or whatever. The, I, I forget the particulars now. I think I'd know, I'd know the detail a bit better at this stage, but um, we had to let the archaeologists in for, um, for several weeks to do their thing. It's all coming back. I haven't been asked that question in a while. Nowadays, of course, Mainline is growing uh, in the UK. As you said, uh, it went in fairly quick and more recently into the Swedish market. What, why Sweden? I suppose... You know, a lot, a lot of companies when they when they go international, they follow clients, people they've you know, and businesses they've got relationships with. It's all about relationships. Uh, we had an opportunity to price a large project in Sweden with a with an existing client. Um, we did that, and and I suppose we got in early. We looked at all of the different options. We tried to value engineer the solution as part of their wider project scope. Um, how could we integrate what we were delivering with other parts of the project they had to they had to deliver? An example would be around the roads um, were being built by the civils contractor, and we then have to excavate a trench and lay our cable. We had up up to ninety kilometers of, of electrical cable to install adjacent to the road. You're, you need special you know, specific quality of backfill material, and if we could, you know, if that material was processed as part of the road construction it would reduce the cost for us as an example uh, in delivery of our project and and so so we looked at those kind of aspects uh, and you know how we could work together with the client to deliver the most economically advantageous uh, solution quite often and it's very much part of our strategies and organization we try to sit down with the clients as early as possible uh, understand the big picture and where we can bring value and maybe make savings if if x y and z are, are done you know, out out in advance of our works, as an example. So, um, yeah, so we got the opportunity and, and we took it. We delivered a 73 turbine wind farm, um, the electrical aspect of it now, I should say. The, the geographical area, just to give you a sense of it, was, was nearly the size of County Lout. The, the logistics of getting around and, and moving material around and, and getting huge volumes of cable to the right parts of site and all of that kind of stuff. And then you throw in the, the added complication of, you know, potentially... Um, waking up in the morning and there's two meters of snow in front of you, you know, so you, you've all of those things. Um, and with a very good local partner as well, you know, with that kind of local weather knowledge and, and know-how, um, because a lot of the civil aspect of our, you know, the digging of the trench, we, we, we got a local partner on board um, to deliver that element for us. And then we brought the design and the technical and installation of the cable expertise. So yeah, it's all about getting the right people around the table and getting the right partners in delivering a project. There's a lot of talk in Ireland about wind energy. Is it the same in Sweden? Are they are they even more into it there? They are. Is is the simple answer? I suppose there's huge focus now internationally on on renewable energy generation. I suppose the momentum was was gathering um, prior to the war in, in Ukraine, and and I suppose if there is one silver lining to that cloud, is that it is increased focus on, on renewable renewables and renewable generation to uh, obviously reduce our dependence on gas in simple terms. Um, I was looking at a report there yesterday and, and 40% of our uh, electricity production in recent years was um, was reliant on gas. Clearly, we've got an exposure there. We all know. So yes, Sweden is hugely focused uh, on renewables. Again, no different to Ireland. They're very focused on the, um, the offshore opportunities there as well. And in northern Sweden, where we work, they've got huge areas of land with a strong 
electrical infrastructure, um, and by that I mean the electrical infrastructure that is required to take the power that is generated in a wind farm and, and bring it into the national and international grid. Because a lot of the time where the wind is, or where the power is generated and where the wind is blowing isn't where it has the greatest need. No different to Ireland. The wind blows more on the west coast than it does on the east coast, but the power is needed more so on the east coast. So you have to have that electrical infrastructure to, um, to transfer the energy around the country. And Sweden has that. They've got a very good, um, electrical infrastructure. Ireland has, you know, we, we have a lot of work to do in that. And, uh, you know, it's in, it's in hand, but plenty more still to be done on that. What is it that you've seen the Swedes do that we could learn here in Ireland? I suppose one of the, one of the main challenges that a lot of people talk about in Ireland is, is the timeline it takes to get a project from concept to completion. And a lot of that is around the, the planning process on the offshore side. There's talk about you know, the foreshore license uh, aspects, etc. And um, that needs to be streamlined. In Sweden, it is more streamlined. Now, they also have some of their challenges and they're actively look some challenges in that regard and they're actively looking to address those they've got their neighbors next door in norway who are probably you know one of the most advanced in the renewables space i suppose and you know they 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 see the benefit it's it's in very high in the public persona shall we say when it comes to renewable energy wind is the one that we hear about the most but what are the other areas of sustainable energy that are available and that perhaps we should consider Solar is a big one. Ireland has only just recently, I suppose, put the uh, support mechanism in place to incentivize the, the construction of solar farms on, on an industrial scale. Res 1 auction and Res 2 auction results have, have happened. Just to explain that, the Res is the Renewable Energy Support Scheme. It's the program, basically, of supports that the government have in place for both wind and solar uh, because they still need to be subsidized to an extent by, by doing that, by subsidizing those um, you know, solar projects and wind projects, they become ultimately self-sufficient because you bring the expertise, when the expertise are local and they're there and, and the, the market is significant in, in volume and size and scale, price of materials and everything come down and you ultimately get to a point um, which is coming very quickly now given the cost of electricity as a result of external forces that we, we spoke about earlier. You know, you get to that balancing point where they won't need to be subsidised. But in, initially, all of these developing technologies need to be subsidised to make them commercially viable. And it's no different to the offshore side of it as well because there's huge investments involved. But the benefits once they're up and running and the markets mature, you know, are just enormous. One of the things about engineering is, is seeing a challenge and coming up with a solution, overcoming it and, and, and making it a reality. I hear the words solar power and I hear the words Ireland and I think that's got to be a challenge. <laughs> well, I, I suppose the, the, the panels are getting very technically advanced. So now they, they even have double-sided panels to pick up the light on the underside, would you believe, so you've that aspect to, I suppose, consider. And if you look at the southern part of Ireland, we get about a thousand sun hours um, per annum, which is very similar to large parts of Europe. You know, solar. There's solar in Scotland. Uh, Estonia is is a, is is one of the international markets we're looking at. It's in its early stages. Um, they've been through their first kind of auction to support solar. You know, you think Estonia, you don't necessarily think solar either. Either, sorry, but the technology and I suppose the ability of the panels to generate electricity is it's coming on in leaps and bounds. So, yeah, it's, it's very much a viable option in the Irish market. 
other ones, you, you asked me what other areas are, um, there are. One of the big issues um, with renewables is the fact that, you know, when the wind blows, you create electricity. When it doesn't blow, you know, there's no electricity being generated. And, and sometimes that is surplus to requirements and doesn't get used. Green hydrogen is an area where, you know, engineering can um, play a huge part and has, if we can harness that excess uh, wind when it's blowing, use it to create hydrogen that can then be stored and used um, to generate electricity when the wind isn't blowing. You've got your 24-hour cycle of electricity generation covered off. Where does engineering fit into all of this? You know, we're saving the world um, one wind turbine at a time or one solar panel at a time. So, you know, you can put that kind of extent of spin on it because climate change is a huge issue. And, um, you know, Ireland has a target of, of generating 80% of its um, electricity from renewables by 2030. You know, we have a good way to go to get there. We can do it. You know, the Taoiseach said recently that uh, wind could be our oil. You know, if we can harness the, the wind off the West Coast here. I'm sitting here on the West Coast as I talk to you and it's blowing hard in the middle of, <laughs> middle of July. So um, there's huge opportunity out there and engineers would be part of, of that solution. And, you know, if, if, if we want to go to the extreme, engineers will, um, will, will save the world one, uh, one wind turbine at a time. Moving away from renewable energy, one of Mainline's recent projects was the new North Runway at Dublin Airport. Now, a lot of people may be familiar uh, in this business with road or motorway construction. Runway's kind of different. <laughs> what, what have you discovered in this project? Yeah, well, I, I suppose we've, we've worked over many years with the DA and we've done a lot of projects in Dublin, Cork and Shannon airports. We, we deal primarily in the electrical infrastructure, the, the runway lights, the taxiway signage, the navigation aids that help the planes land, all of that kind of stuff. The, the particular scope that we delivered on the North runway was into the main contractor who constructed the runway and um, a, a lot of the infrastructure, the ducts, etc. that we would pull the cables in. And we delivered two substations as well to, to power all of that infrastructure. Uh, so it's, it's very different to a road in that... A road has very has no electrical infrastructure, barter streetlights or whatever. So the electrical infrastructure here is obviously the critical aspect of the overall project from a safety perspective, and the navigation aids that go with that to help the planes um, land, you know, and approach the runway at the correct altitude, etc. Hugely different to a road. To give us an idea of the scale of it and also the concentration of it, a runway may be. Three three kilometers long, three thousand meters. Three point three, three point three. In in the case of the North Runway, I think there would have been over two thousand uh, runway lights, as an example. You know, you, you've you've got communications as well as the electrical infrastructure. You've got the fiber communication infrastructure as well. We had hundreds of kilometers of electric cable and fiber. You've got the 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 primary cable, which is the higher voltage stuff. You've got the um, secondary cable, which is the lower voltage stuff, you know, going from each individual light back to the, the primary cable source. I'm getting into the technical aspect a, a little bit, um, which I should never do because I'm a civil engineer and I'm not um, an electrical engineer, so I could put my foot in it literally. But, you know, the huge volumes of cabling infrastructure to connect everything up. And you are obviously in a runway as well, you have to have significant levels of redundancy. If one light bulb goes, it can't take them all out, clearly. You know, uh, that's, that's a fairly basic example, but you get the point. As well as the scale of it in such a, a small area, while you're doing it, number one is you're working in a very highly secure area. And then number two, 
there must be a billion factors outside of your control. How do you manage as an engineer with such a, a fluid situation? Yeah, very good question. And the project management aspect of engineering is, is a very important part of delivering any project. And uh, if you have a clear, sufficiently detailed program, resourced up properly, detailing the interfaces that you have with other contractors, the, the handover times from, you know, the this section of the runway is going to be uh, built and, 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 and finished and it can be handed over to mainline um, at a particular point in time. You know, program management is, is, is very much a critical part of minimizing the, the, the margin for error or issue on a project. When programs aren't managed properly, then you've got, then you've got big problems, you know, so very much uh, the program management aspect of it. Now, away from uh, particular projects, one of the things we talk about on the podcast is uh, CPD accredited employer with Engineers Ireland. How important do you feel CPD is to an engineer's career? Well, I, I mean, I'll go a bit more general. We should all be looking to improve. Uh, we have a saying in mainline, what got us here won't get us there, in the sense that, you know, we're learning every day and we can't keep doing the same thing. You've, we've, we've all got to evolve. And, and engineers, no different. You know, we have a programme and the Engineers Ireland one, we were delighted to be part of it. It's very important that, that people continuously strive and it's an, it's an important part of our strategies and organisations. So all of our people, it's something we look for and identify in our people. They've got to want to improve. Our environments are changing all the time. We've all got to improve. We've all got to continuously look to improve. The framework that we have with Engineers Ireland, it's, it's engineer specific. It brings, I suppose, um, a lot of the, the moving parts of you know, engineering, project management, all of that kind of stuff together, very much focused on project delivery. Uh, you know, so uh, we find it very beneficial for, um, for Mainline, yeah. Now, it's one thing you sitting at the top of Mainline kind of going, are people this and are people that and everybody should learn. What about you yourself? What's one of the most useful things that you have gotten from being in Engineers Ireland? Uh, for me, there are very few problems in this world that somebody hasn't solved already or had to face and, and you know, has, has thought about all of the options. And throughout my career, the benefit of networking, I can't, you know, overemphasize it enough. And, you know, the, the network within Engineers Ireland, you can pick up the phone and people are always willing to help, I find, you know, and somebody has been there and done it. And that's the important thing to remember. You're, ne you're never, you're, you know, you're, you're never facing it alone. And the strength of the network and the, the level of advice and, and expertise within that network is invaluable. And then this comes down to the very basic, you know, mental health issues or any of those kind of things. It, it you know, it comes down to that level. Um, I'm not just talking about engineering issues. There's always somebody out there who's, who's, who's been through what you're going through and uh, there's a solution out there and it's very important to remember that. Let me get your view on networking because networking puzzled me for such a long time. And you may not believe this, but I'm a kind of a shy person. I mean, I picked radio as a career for a reason because I'm sitting in a room on my own speaking to imaginary people most of the time. <laughs> so it's perfect. But when it comes to, you know, kind of having to go into a room where there's lots of people that I don't know or at a conference or something like that, I literally can't. I hate it. All right. But I, I discovered for me, and this is my definition of networking, is it's not who you know, it's who you've met. And it's as simple as I was at this thing and that fellow was there and I went up and I said, hello, Paddy, how are you doing? Yeah, grand, grand, I am. You are. Lovely to see you. Goodbye. And it could literally be as short as four minutes. But somewhere in the future, when you need to interact with that person, then you can say, I met you briefly at such and such. That's what networking is to me. 
How would you describe it? For sure. Uh, you, you walk into a room and you don't know anybody there. And, and if you know one person, quite often you tend to gravitate to that person. And you've got to be disciplined and go, right, I'll talk to three people before I get to that person. And, and the benefit, you never know the benefit of networking at the point in, in time that you're doing it. Um, it will become apparent down the road. Um, similarly, if you go into any of those kind of um, opportunities or networking opportunities with the mindset of what can I do to help others in the first instance, right? And, you know, they might have a problem that I can, I can solve or I can just, look, I know the man you can talk to and you might, you might put two other people together. Because if, you, if, if you're going with the opposite attitude of what am I going to get out of this, you'll get less. So for me, that mindset and, and if you go in with that, people open up. And, and also it's about genuine interaction. You know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've got a problem and you just say, look, I've got a problem. Do you know anybody who could help me? People are willing to help. You know, sometimes you put people up on a pedestal and, and you think they might be too busy or too this or too that, but people will make the time to help and they just need to be asked a lot of time. Never be afraid to ask anybody for help uh, and, and show a vulnerability. You know, that's genuine. And if you're, if you're genuine, you'll, you know, networking will just happen naturally for you. That is a superb piece of advice to go in to see how can I help other people. They're amazing because it just it, it's like the universe just it just pays you off for, for, for doing that. Speaking of professional development, we're recording this before the EY Entrepreneur of the Year is announced in November, but you are a finalist. And I think what a brilliant way of developing <laughs> your career than to get into this. Do you think the whole process of this award is adding to your own professional development? Yes, is the short answer, and I'll tell you why. And it's, um, it's interesting, you've asked this question after the networking question. I've been at a couple of the events, and the power of that network is it's immense. And, and one aspect of the program is uh, you go away for a week on the EY Entrepreneur Retreat, and, and you're in an environment with the other 24 finalists, there's 25 finalists this year, you're in that environment, but you also have many of the past, up to up to 100 of the past finalists. You know, collectively, when you put that room together, you know, most problems have been experienced. So if you have a problem and you're looking for, um, you know, the solution, it's there, it's in the room. And then the process that you, that you go through and, you know, there's, a, there's an interview process with the judges and everything else. And, you know, these are highly experienced people, very successful people. Uh, and, you know, they're asking questions, they're looking at your business. And then there's other aspects of it, the DY support as well around um, strategy development of your business. So it's very much uh, a two-way street and, and the benefits are, you know, they're, they're significant. Let me ask you, on a scale of one to 10, how much is this process pushing you? On a scale of one to 10, um, how much is it pushing me? It's pushing me outside my comfort zone, you know, which is always good. You know, I wouldn't necessarily be um, up in front of the microphone too often, you know, doing this kind of stuff. And, and there'll be, you know, there'll be a television aspect to the finals and all of that kind of stuff, which, again, I, I wouldn't necessarily be over, overly familiar with. And then, you know, like I said, I, I've got to sit down in front of um, a panel of very successful, very experienced judges. And, you know, I'll be grilled about our business and our strategy and everything else. So... It's right up there in the, um, you know, in the, uh, the eight or nine anyway. Finally, Jamie, tell me what's in your head at the moment for the future for yourself and for Mainline? Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're currently at about 30 million turnover. We want to grow the business to in excess of 100 million turnover in the, in the medium term. Um, and I mean three to five years in, 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 the, in the medium term. We've got a lot of the blocks in place for that. We've got a very good team and we've got a very strong senior management team. So... 
from a, a strategy perspective and I suppose a numbers perspective, that's where we want to go. Renewables is a huge part of that focus. Um, solar now is very much taking off in the Irish market. Uh, wind has always been there um, and is now again very much part of our focus. Offshore is coming online late 23, maybe into 2024. So they're further out in the timeline, but very much, uh, I suppose, we're engaged with the players who are delivering those, uh, the clients who are delivering those projects. So, you know, it starts at an early stage. You've got other projects around the grid strengthening. ESB are a very important client of ours. And the strengthening of the infrastructure within Ireland to be able to deliver and transport that power around the country is a huge part of the or huge piece of the jigsaw to us um, hitting our 2030 target of 80% um, you know, renewably generated power. There are projects as well that fit into that grid strengthening mix around the interconnection of Ireland to the UK um, with the Green Link, um, which is a power, a power cable going from Wexford to Wales. Uh, you've got the Celtic interconnector that's coming in um, from France and, and hitting the Cork, uh, Waterford border. There's a huge drive and focus on renewables and grid strengthening, um, and, and we see that uh, very much as part of our growth strategy. We'd like to think we're very well positioned to, um, to deliver it. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with all of that. And I'd like to thank you today for uh, being so insightful and open as well with us. Uh, Jamie O'Rourke, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Dusty. It was a pleasure. If you'd like to find out more about what we spoke about on the podcast today, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes or description area of our podcast on your podcast player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and advanced episodes on our website at engineersireland.ie. Our podcast today was produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. And if you would like more, just click the follow button on your podcast player so you get access to all of our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.